Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey, thank you so much, everybody. We're so glad that you're with us. You know, in 1965, the Rolling Stones... Hey, thank you so much, everybody. We're so glad that you're with us. You know, in 1965, the Rolling Stones released a song that is still very popular today. In fact, it is number two out of 500 uh, on the greatest songs of all time list, according to Rolling Stones magazine. The popular phrase of this song is this, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. And I tried. Oh, I tried. Oh, I tried. Yes, I tried. I can't get no. All right, I'll leave it there. You guys understand what I'm saying. Uh, You know, that that song resonated in the hearts of so many people because uh, that is what is a, a problem in the human condition, and that is it is very difficult sometimes to be satisfied. Very difficult to find satisfaction or to live, as we would say, to live content. You know, for 55 years, people have been singing that song because it has struck a chord inside of them. You know, the thing we're going to talk about today is overcoming discontent because discontent is something that can steal our joy. Discontent is something that can steal our peace and rob us of something that God really wants to give us for our lives. You know, ever since the beginning of creation, when the first creatures uh, had been created by the hand of God, there has always been someone somewhere that's been unhappy with their position in the universe. In fact, it all started out uh, with a created angel by the name of Lucifer. In fact, he was very high up in the ranks. He was a, 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 a worshiping angel, kind of the worship leader, so to speak, and, and, uh, and the apex of God's creation. But he wanted something more than his assigned position. Even though he was the greatest of all created beings, he was not satisfied. He was discontent. In fact, Isaiah chapter 14, 12 to 15 says, Oh, how are you, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you are you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, look at this, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend to the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest parts of the depths of the pit. See, Lucifer was seething with discontentment. And it caused him to lead a rebellion against the Most High God. Fully one-third of the angels joined with him in his quest to overthrow the throne of the Lord. For in his rebellion, he and his followers had been kicked out of heaven. Another pastor of Scripture says a third of the stars of heaven had been cast down. Satan, the devil, has been relentless in his pursuit of God and all his creation. And one of the tools that he has in his toolbox that he uses is discontentment. In fact, it was discontentment that was one of his best weapons that he first used in the Garden of Eden. He sowed seeds of discontent in Eve's unsuspecting heart. By misquoting the Lord, he made Eve to think that somehow God was trying to cheat her. Oh no, 
No, God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. Doesn't that sound like Lucifer? Wanting to be like the Most High, wanting to be in the position of the Most High, sowing seeds of discontent into Eve's heart. And so she took of the fruit and she ate the fruit that God said, you shall not eat of. And she gave some to her husband, Adam, and they both ate and sin entered the world. Why? Because of a seed of discontentment. You see, the seeds of discontentment are brought forth by a bitter harvest of disobedience and it led to the loss of paradise and entered into a a world of evil, a world and a curse that we live in today. And ever since then, we've been a very unhappy race. After Eden, we've not been fully satisfied with anything here on earth and we're still not satisfied years later. We always want something different. You know, if you're young, you want to be older and if you're old, you wish you were younger. If you have something that's older, you want something newer. And if it's new, you want something newer still. If it's small, you want something bigger. And no matter how big it is, it doesn't seem to be as big as what somebody else has. If we have $100, we want $200. If you have $200, you want $500. If you you live in an apartment, you think of the day when maybe you can own a condo. Or if you're in a condo, maybe the day that you can own a house. And then maybe it's a bigger house. And then one day you're not satisfied with your bigger house because it's too expensive and there's too much work to do and everybody's moved out. And so I need to downsize. Discontent is something that continues to be sown in our hearts. We see it with our jobs. Sometimes we get a job and we have a job. We're not satisfied with the position of our job. We want a promotion. We want a raise. We want a different job. We want better benefits. We need a a greater challenge. It, It just seems over and over again, there are examples in which discontentment is sown in our hearts. If you're single, you dream of the day that you are married. And if you're married, well, I'll let you finish that sentence. Author and pastor Andy Stanley calls it living in the land of Ur, E-R, living in the land of Ur, because when you're not satisfied, you want something better, prettier, newer, richer, superior, and, and then if you're still not satisfied, you can't, you're not satisfied to live in the land of Ur, you want to live in the land of S, I want it best, I, I want the new S, the rich S, I, I, I'm not satisfied until I have the best, and on and on and on it goes. Discontentment is a seed that can be in our hearts and we may not even realize it. You know, none of this is unusual in any way. I'm sure some of you are laughing because you know that this is a very real reality of the human heart. You know, there is some amount of discontent that's good for the soul. There's an amount of discontent that says, you know what, there are things that do need to get better. And you know what, there are things that need to get better. You know, the truth is, is that this life is a broken and curse-filled world, and there's a lot of things that are not right, and so we long for heaven, and we long for things that are better, and there is a good discontentment that pushes us towards greater goals. However, a lot of times, there is a discontent that is not good, that steals our joy, that steals our peace, and that keeps us from living out the purpose that God has for our lives. And so as we look at discontentment today, a discontent in the wrong direction, I want to just show five signs. You say, well, my heart's content. Well, let me just share with you five signs right now that might be dragging you down spiritually. The first is envy. 
Envy is an inability to be able to rejoice with the success of others. And so if there is somebody else that's having success and you're not and you can't rejoice with them, there's a good chance that you have discontentment in your heart and a seed of envy. There's uncontrolled ambition. That is a desire uh, at no matter, whatever, whatever the cost, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to climb the ladder of success. I'm going to get mine. And if you have that kind of ambition, that kind of discontent, it doesn't matter who's in your way, you're getting what's coming to you. How about a critical spirit? That's the tendency to constantly be judgmental and criticizing, critical of others, cutting remarks judgmental remarks, hurtful remarks. And then there's a complaining spirit, the disposition that makes excuses or blames others for bad circumstances, for our problems. It's a refusal to take personal responsibility or an inability to be thankful for what we have and what God has provided us with. Or there's outbursts of anger, angry words spoken because expectations have not been met. A a discontented person looks around and says, you know what, I deserve something better than this. You know, Benjamin Franklin had something really good to say about this. He said this, contentment makes a poor man rich, or contentment makes a poor man rich, and discontent makes a rich man poor. Boy, I think that's so good, because discontent is really a cancer of the soul. It eats away at our joy, it corrodes our happiness, it destroys our outlook on life, it produces a terminal jaundice, so to speak, of the soul, that everything that we look at is in a negative light. We can't be happy because we choose not to be happy. We cannot be satisfied because we will not be satisfied. So how do we overcome the prison of discontent? Today, we're going to look at two two separate passages, one from Exodus chapter 15 and the other in the New Testament from Paul's letter to the Philippian church in in the the letter called Philippians. We're going to identify three common fertilizers or traps to discontentment, and then at the end, we're going to talk about three steps to overcome it. So three common traps that lead to discontentment. The first one is this, complaining. I mentioned it earlier, complaining. I want to look at Exodus chapter 15. It opens with a celebration time. The the Israelites had prayed that they would be delivered out of captivity. They were slaves in a land of Egypt for 400 years. And during that time, they were praying for God to deliver them and for God to act upon the promise that he had made to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was later later changed to Israel. And so they prayed and they prayed and God miraculously came into their situation, came into Egypt and plague after plague after plague, God showed his mighty power and his ability to be able to deliver them. Not only that, but during that time, they were spared from the wrath of God and many of these judgments, they didn't even experience themselves because of God's protected hand. And then when God had led them out, he led them by way of the Red Sea and produced another amazing miracle. As their enemies pursued, he parted the waters of the Red Sea. They walked across, and when their enemies tried to pursue, the waters came back and covered them. And so they looked behind, and their enemies had been destroyed. Their bondage had been destroyed. They were set free. And in Exodus 15, in the beginning, they are singing the song of Miriam, and they are having a downright worship service. (laughs) God had moved on their behalf. 
In fact, Exodus 14, 31, the last verse of that particular chapter ends like this. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And look at this, they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They were, they were celebrating in the beginning. Man, they, they had watched God's mighty hand and power. Yet just a few verses later, all of a sudden we see that the joy that they have in worship has suddenly been sucked away. Why? By a seed of discontent. Look at this. Exodus 15, 22 and 24. Then Moses led the Israelites from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water, look at this, because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? You know, three days after the celebration, after the declaration of their trust in the Lord, all of a sudden they're unhappy and they're complaining and they're grumbling and they're discontent. Just just three days later, after the mighty hand of the Lord had been upon them, three days later, all of a sudden, when the water starts to run a little bit bit low, their satisfaction and their trust in God begins to wane, and all of a sudden, their discontent is showed as they begin to complain and grumble and groan. You know, the waters that they came to were bitter. We talked a little bit about this last week. You know, bitter circumstances come to all of us. Once again, we see it here that they are led into the desert and they don't have what they expect and all of a sudden they come to water and they think, yes, we have water and then the water is bitter. How many times do you think that God opens up a door and yet that door seems to lead to a bitter circumstance rather than the provision that you expected and what do you find yourself doing? If you're like the Israelites, you start to complain and God, why did you lead us this way? And here, not only God, but Moses, why are you? you leading us this way why did you ever bring us out they've forgotten the prayers and they've forgotten the power of God and they've forgotten their declaration of trust because all of a sudden there's a discontent in their hearts and it's seen as they begin to complain God is gracious to his people Moses begins to cry out to the Lord and God provides a piece of wood that he says throw into the water and it makes the bitter waters sweet look at this Exodus 15, starting in verse 25, then Moses cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. That's very critical. You might want to underline that in your Bible. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on any of you the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God who heals you, who heals you. This was an illustration. God had brought them out and brought them to this place so that he could illustrate the healing that he wanted to provide for this nation of slaves. Beyond just a physical salvation, God wanted to provide a spiritual salvation, a spiritual healing. I don't know about you, but do you see the, the, the symbolism that is here? He said to Moses, There's a, here's a piece of wood. I want you to throw it in the water. And, and when he did, it made the bitter waters sweet. You know, when I think about Jesus Christ, I think of the cross. And what was the cross made out of? The cross was made out of wood. 
You see, it's the cross of Jesus Christ that when we begin to look at our lives and our circumstances through the cross of Jesus Christ, we find that even the most bitter circumstances can be turned around and made sweet. Oh, isn't that a good promise? God promises to protect and heal them. This was just a test. And you know, there are things that we run into, but we find ourselves complaining against God. And you know what? A month later, just a month later, they're complaining again. Exodus 16, 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Why? Because once again, they were low on provisions. We don't have enough food. Woe is us. We don't have this. God had already proven miraculously how he could transform bitter waters and make them sweet. And yet over and over again, in just a few short weeks, they have forgotten God's provision. Let it be a warning to us. I realize the circumstances that we are living in right now are not the greatest. I recognize that there have been a lot of things that have changed in our lives as a result of all of the laws and all of the restrictions that have come down because of COVID-19. Do you realize that it's only been about 40 days, 50 days, it's only been a short period of time since all of this started and yet how many of us have found ourselves complaining and dissatisfied and no longer trusting that God has a plan. Oh, the seed of discontent, how it comes out in our words and in our language and through our complaining. Watch your words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Watch your words and take inventory about what comes out. When you find yourself complaining about what you lack more than praying about it, you probably have a seed of discontent in your heart. Secondly, comparing. That's the second trap of discontentment. Exodus 16, 3, the Israelites said to them, if we only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, then we're there, look at this, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted, but you have brought us out in this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. It's amazing how much we look at the past with colored glasses, isn't it? When we look at the past, we think, oh, it was so much, it was wonderful. I mean, Egypt was a place of bondage. For four, they were complaining when they were in Egypt. Oh, Lord, aren't you going to rescue us? Oh, Lord, where are your promises? Oh, Lord, when are you going to do this? Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. When Moses first showed up, uh, Egypt made it harder on them. Oh, we're going to kill you. Oh, why? Egypt was terrible. But when you look at this, it sounds like Egypt was a vacation. We sat around, pot. we had pots of meat. We sat around, we ate all we wanted. Oh, it was so wonderful in Egypt. The truth is it wasn't. It wasn't. But see, they were comparing their present circumstances with a rose-colored past. That's not the only way that we compare. Oftentimes in our lives, we're discontented because we look at what somebody else has. We look at their position. We look at the gifts that they have, the talents they have, the house they have, the kids they have, the wife they have, the car they have, and we go, oh, I don't have it very well. And you know, sometimes we're content Last week, there were some of you that were very content when you woke up in the morning and you were very content, some of you mothers, with what your kids did for you for Mother's Day or what your husband did. You were content until you went on Facebook or Instagram or one of those other social media poisons and you began to see all the images and all the pictures and all the videos of everybody else's highlight reel and you began to compare and all of a sudden you were no longer satisfied with what your family had done for you because it just didn't seem to matter 
match up with what everybody else got. Oh, how comparing can make us discontent. How looking at what others have can be, make us discontent. And what does it do? It steals our joy. How often we fall into this trap. You know, you're satisfied with your home until your, your, your friend all of a sudden gets a Joanna Gaines home. And, and what is that? That shiplap. You know, all of a sudden they got shiplap everywhere. They got that subway tile. And you're like, well, I don't have subway tile. Where's my shiplap? I don't have shiplap. And now all of a sudden your home isn't good enough. It was good enough a month ago, but all of a sudden they got theirs and yours is no longer good enough. Where is the satisfaction and the contentment? You know, I think it's a huge trap today. And I think it, it, that it's something that we have to be careful of. It, this, this idea of comparing, especially with all the images and all the information and everything that we have available, things we would have never seen before, we're suddenly seeing and we find ourselves struggling with comparison and without joy. Pastor Stephen Furtick once said, the problem is that we're comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. It's a real problem today. Look at, look at this, friends. I want to encourage you. You need to guard against this temptation because this temptation of comparing is only going to fertilize the discontented seed in your heart and make it grow. Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer. Look at this. In whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Friends, I want you to know something. God has put you in the position and he's allowed you to have what you have for a reason. There's a test there. Can you be content with what God has given you? Can you be grateful if you receive nothing else, if your position does not ever improve? Can you be grateful? Can you be satisfied with that? Third is worry. Third is worry. Worry is a trap that leads to a discontented heart. In Exodus chapter 16, we, we see that despite the comparisons and the complaining, there's something else. God miraculously provides for his people. And, and, and what is he providing for them? He's providing for them manna from heaven. Look at Exodus 16, 11 and 12. The Lord said to them, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. You might say the complaining. And he tells them at twilight, you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Listen how gracious God is. In the midst of their complaining, in the midst of their mistrust, God continues to provide for them. That's the gracious God that we have. And he says there's instructions that are given for the manna. Look at this. Exodus 16, 17 to 19. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered, look at this, much, did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. <laughs> I love that. Everyone had gathered, look at this, just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep of it until morning. No one's to keep of it until morning. What I want to point out is, again, every family had exactly what they needed. Every family had just what they needed. Some only needed a little, and so they gathered a little. Some needed more, and so they gathered a little bit more. You know, that's the problem. That, that's that whole comparing thing again. You'll have just as much as you need as what God provides for you. That was what we read in, in Corinthians. True contentment is found when we recognize that in Jesus, we have just what we need. 
There's instructions that were given. Don't, don't keep any of it until morning, all right? Just take what you need, use what you need, take what you need for today, because tomorrow I'm going to provide again. But what happened? Look at the next verse, verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Do you see this? Why did they, why did they not listen to the instructions? Why? Because there was a discontentment in their heart and it showed through their worry. Their worry that they weren't going to have enough for tomorrow. This was not being frugal, all right? Let's not twist this passage. They were just savings. See, savings is good. Yes, the Bible talks about savings, but the Bible also talks about trust. And the problem is when we don't trust, we worry. When we don't trust, we worry. And there are times where we are worrying. We, we worry that we're not going to have enough. That's what happened here. There was discontent in their heart, and you see it through worry. As they worried, they weren't going to have enough, and they held on to it. But the problem with worry is worry stinks. Worry begins to smell. The more you worry, the more anxious you are. People don't want to be around you. It smells. It's awful. Friends, God doesn't want you to worry. He doesn't want you to be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and with thanksgiving, again, being grateful for what we have, you pray, you offer prayers, and then the peace of God that he wants to give you that passes all understanding is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you know where that passage of scripture is found? That's found in Philippians, and that's where we're going to move to. You see, worry is a trap that leads us to hold on to control and not trust the Lord. It leads to discontent. Matthew 6.34 encourages us with this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry uh, about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Just, just trust the Lord today. Trust the Lord today. What do you need today? See, worry robs us of the joy of being grateful for what God has provided for us today. And that's a trap. So how do we overcome this trap? You see, when it comes to walking by faith, it's crucial to remember that our contentment is not determined by our circumstances. We often want to blame our circumstances for our discontent, but contentment is often determined by what we believe. And our belief is fueled by what we're seeing. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 uses race analogy. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice that there's a race that is set before us. I can't run your race and you can't run my race. Every one of us has an individual race. Every one of us has an individual race that we are running, a race that, that, that God has set forth for us. And, and it's easy to complain, especially when we compare our race with somebody else's. Well, their race is so much easier. Well, they're so much further ahead. Well, they have it so much easier than us. We can, we can find ourselves in that position where we're comparing and worrying, and, and we don't have to. Why? Because discontent becomes a weight that steals the joy that God wants to give to us. So do you need to lay aside a weight of discontent today? Uh, that, that sinful kind that stems from disappointment that leads to complaining and leads to comparing and leads to worry. Uh, it begins with what you're looking at. Philippians chapter 4. Paul gives us some great wisdom in overcoming discontentment. 
Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And look at this. I know how uh, to abound. In every and any, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know where Paul wrote these words about contentment? In prison. In prison. Not the first time he was in prison. Paul was in a nasty place. Prisons were nasty places in Paul's day, and he knew that he would potentially die. The death he contemplated would not be pleasant. That's why he wrote in Philippians 1.20, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as, as, uh, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul was suffering regularly, but he understood that it didn't matter his circumstance, whether he was suffering or whether he was living in abundance, whether he would live or whether he was die, he would be content. In whatever situation, I have learned the secret of being content. How did he learn how to be content? Because he saw the prize. He kept his eye on the prize. Look at what he said, Philippians 3.8, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you know what Jesus was? Jesus was the treasure of Paul. Jesus was the treasure to Paul. What Paul saw in Jesus, the man who he was walking through the field and found the treasure, that's what he saw. We see that in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up. Look at this. Then in his joy, what gets stolen by discontent? Joy. But this man, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, I don't know about you, but 15 minutes earlier... If that man would have walked through that, before he walked through that field, if you would have asked him to sell everything and told him, you know, in 15 minutes, you're going to sell everything you have, he would have said, there is no way. No, he would have been worried about those things. Those things that he had would have been comparing maybe to what somebody else had, or maybe he was complaining about his situation, but then he found the treasure. And when he found the treasure, he was willing to sell everything because the treasure that he found brought contentment to his heart and nothing else compared compared. When Jesus is not our treasure, then we find ourselves dissatisfied because nothing else compares to Jesus. Jesus needs to be the treasure of our hearts. What we choose to focus on can lead to contentment or discontentment. The Israelites constantly focus on their lack they constantly focused on what they didn't have and it caused them to complain and it caused them to compare it to what they remembered from their past and it caused them to worry about what they might not have. Oh, friends, you and I have Jesus. And when Jesus is the treasure of our heart, then we find in him a contentment that nothing in this world, no coronavirus, COVID-19, no, uh, no, nothing the government can do, nothing that man can do, no restrictions that can come can steal the contentment and joy when Jesus is our treasure. Oh, I think we need to really take inventory of our hearts. 
So how do we overcome? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 encourages us this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, other translations, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that is set before him, look at this, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our example. Jesus went through suffering on the cross. Jesus went through mistreatment. Jesus went through people who were in authority that did things that he submitted himself to and experienced the sacrifice. But why? Because there was a greater joy later on because he understood that they could not take away what God's purpose and plan for his life was and the glory that was going to be revealed and the salvation that would come. You and I need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to lay aside the weight of discontent, the weight of complaining, and the weight of comparing, and the weight of worrying, and we need to fix our eyes on the treasure, Jesus Christ. He's the real prize. So how do you do that? Just real quick, three steps as I close today. Three steps to keeping your eye on the prize. The first one is simple. Stop. (laughs) Stop. When you find yourself complaining, stop. When you find yourself comparing, stop. When you find yourself worrying, stop. Oh, but I don't think I can. Yes, you can. It's a choice. It's a choice. If contentment is learned, as Paul said, then you and I have a choice. We can stop sulking and we can stop stomping around like three-year-olds that don't get our way. We can stop our critical tongue towards those who don't agree with our opinion or criticizing of other things. We can stop the covetousness producing in our heart. We can stop the tweets and the Facebook comparing that we do. We can stop worrying about what we don't have and say, oh God, thank you for what I do have. I'm going to stop. And secondly, I'm going to look. What are you looking at? Where's your focus? What has your attention? Because what has your attention has the direction of your life. Where you're looking is where you go. When you drive, if you look to, sec- to, to look at something out the window to the left or to the right, you find the car drifting. Why? Because what has your attention is where your direction is. And if you are directed towards discontentment, it's because something else has your attention. Something else is your prize. Romans 8, 38 and 39 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. So if nothing can separate us from Christ, if Christ is with us, then that means that something else has our attention and it's time to look deep inside and evaluate and think. That's number three, think, think. Get your spiritual eyes back on the prize. What we ponder is what we perceive. We're discontent because we've been meditating on the wrong things and becoming weighed down And we're living in frustration. It's time to pick up that yoke that Jesus said, listen, if you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There are some of us that need rest. And we need a satisfaction and a contented heart in the treasure of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Here it is. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, look at this, think on these things. Think on these things. So friends, do you struggle with a discontented heart? 
Certainly there's a lot, as I've shared, going on today that can lead to discontent in our hearts. Do you find yourself complaining about the things that you don't have, complaining about your circumstances? Do you find yourself comparing? Comparing everything in your life, you're behind the scenes with others' highlight reels. Do you find yourself worrying? Worrying about tomorrow and struggling to trust in the Lord. Do you struggle to be grateful for what God has given you? Struggle with the position of your life. Don't let contentment steal, discontentment steal your joy. Don't, don't let it govern you today. Lay aside every weight and fix your eyes on the prize, the treasure, Jesus Christ. Because when you find and you fix your eyes on Jesus, the treasure, you find that all other things melt away. All other discontent begins to melt, melt, melt away. Why? Because of his surpassing worth. Compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And like Paul, we can say, I consider everything else rubbish. Let me leave you with one final thought before we pray today. All the world lives in two tents. Contentment or discontent. Content or discontent. What tent are you living in? What tent are you living in? I want to pray with you today. Maybe Jesus isn't the treasure of your heart. I want to invite you to make Jesus the treasure of your heart. Because when you make Jesus the treasure of your heart, when you invite Christ into your life, when you receive the salvation that he offers and you begin to see the grace and the mercy and the joy that he brings, the discontent in your heart will begin to melt away and you will find a new satisfaction, a new peace, and a new joy. In a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And if you need to invite Jesus into your life, I invite you to pray with me and to say, Jesus, I want you to be the treasure of my heart. You know, there are some of you that have prayed this prayer before. But as we've been sharing today, you are convicted and you know that there's discontent in your heart and you need to repent of that today. And you need to recommit your life to Christ, recommit to making Jesus your greatest treasure, the treasure of greatest worth. Let's pray. Will you pray with me today? Dear Jesus, I thank you today for your great love, for your great worth, and for your mercy. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sin of discontent. Forgive me for not being grateful for what you have provided me. Forgive me, Lord, for not trusting in you, knowing that you give me whatever I need, what I need for each and every day. Forgive me, O Lord, for the sin of discontent. I invite you today into my heart to be my greatest treasure, to be my Lord and my Savior. I ask you, Lord, to help me to keep my eyes fixed and focused on you and that father you will come into my life and lord everything else will just begin to melt away father we invite you into our lives today we repent of our discontented heart and we ask you jesus to bring a greater satisfaction a greater joy a greater thanksgiving and thankful heart Make us thankful and grateful and satisfied in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. 
For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.